Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Hey, um, so as Mike said, we're in the series right now that we're focusing on our purposes. I have a couple of free gifts because I can tell you're a little, little sleepy, a little maybe like too subdued. So uh, I, I don't have enough to give everybody, but these will be available next weekend. And so it's a t-shirt that has those purposes on it that we're focusing on through the series. And so I, I honestly cannot see you guys. It's literally like this light, this halo. Like I have to kind of shield my eyes. So I don't want to let that influence my decision on where I throw these. So I'm just going to throw them out in the audience. Now, what I tried to do is take the inspiration of Joe Burrows from the Bengals uh, in practicing my throwing. And so let me show you how my practice throwing has gone this week. No, I, I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to do, I'm going to do better because we all know he's going to do better today, correct? Yeah, okay. All right, so let me just ch chuck a couple of these out. Like, I'm not looking where I'm throwing these. I have no idea. So hopefully, did I hit anybody in the face? Dang it, I was trying so hard. All right, well, next weekend, those will be for sale in the lobby. Uh, if you have any interest in them, uh, like cheap T-shirts, like a thousand bucks a piece, like we're... We're not trying to gouge you or anything, but, you know, they're valuable. So um, I don't know how much they'll be, but uh, there'll be a booth out in the lobby next weekend if you're interested in getting one. So if you were here last week, we kicked off this new series that we are taking a very close look at our purposes as a church because we understand, like, that uh, God has a calling for us. And so we need to be able to pursue that together. And so where we started last week, is where most normal sermon series start. We started with the ending. We, we gave the ending away last week uh, because we wanted you to see the picture of what happens when we live these purposes out. And what we're going to do now over these next three weeks together is each week is, is unpack each of the purposes one by one. And uh, just as a refresher, our purposes as a church, we are about loving God and loving people building relationships, and making a difference in the world. And so when we live those out, as we saw last week, what happens is the people that live that out, we are changed. We're changed internally. Our hearts change. But then everybody that encounters us, that experiences what we experience because of Jesus, they're changed as well. And last week, if you were here, a good friend of mine, uh, he's a pastor, um, he's kind of a pastor to me, uh, we've been friends the last 15, 16 years, um, he now works for uh, an organization called Mission of Hope, and, and he joined us last week, Dick Alexander, uh, and he shared that story about a woman named Jacinta. We showed the video about her life that she was rescued from the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, which is where Mission of Hope started, where it's, it's founded. And then as an adult, she desired to go back to that very slum, even though she had become very successful. Um, she had gone to school, gone on to college, and, and gone on to law school and became a successful attorney in Kenya. But she, what she saw was that these people um, that loved and followed Jesus stepped into her life. She couldn't understand why at first. But as a result of them loving her, they also showed her that they desired to have a relationship with her, that they desired to walk beside her in her life and intervene for her, making a difference that literally changed the trajectory of her life. 
And the quote that I, that I just, man, just wrecked me last week hearing her say it. She said, together we can bring hope and transform lives for Christ. It's that word together that really is a huge part of what this focus will be today as we unpack our first purpose as a church, love God, love people. The passage that I gave you last week, which again, by the way, if you, if you were here last week, you got um, this little quick handout that's uh, just a little card that has our purposes on it and a, a reference scripture for each one. If you did not get one last week, we still have some. We'd love to give you one just to be able to take home, put someplace where you see it and remember it, can read through these passages and be praying over them. But the one that I gave you last week uh, for Love God, Love People is Matthew chapter 22. And this is Jesus speaking directly to us. These are his words about what it means to love God and love people. But specifically, he said this starting in verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So in other words, what Jesus has just said is that these commands, these two that are, are critically important, they're actually the foundation for everything else that my father has said. It starts with love. It starts with loving God. It starts with loving people. You have to start with that because everything else depends on it. Now, for us who are already believers that believe Jesus is the Son of God, we say the words of Jesus are paramount for us in our life. Uh, often uh, it's referred to as like the words written in red in the Bible. Those are the ones that for us, we're like, man, we know that those are important. He's the Son of God. He was sent to earth to rescue us from destruction. He is God incarnate. And so any words that he spoke, we know they are critically important for us to follow. Anybody that claims Christ would absolutely say that that is true. But it's one thing to believe that it's true. It's another thing to put those words into practice every day. That's where things can get dicey for us as believers. So where I want to start this morning as we unpack this first purpose is what does it mean to love God and to love people? What does love mean, honestly? What does it mean to, to love anything? What is love? I think an initial kind of response to that for many people is that love is a feeling, because that's the way the world describes love. It's always been described that way. The reality is, is that love is uh, definitely something that has feeling attached to it. Good feelings, great feelings, a feeling that you might have one day, but then according to the world, the next day it might be gone. Because feelings are something that we get and that we can lose. The world describes love as a feeling because so often that's how we treat it. I was trying to think about this this past week, getting ready for the weekend, like of, of what an example of that would be, like a real world example. And, and what I decided, and this will be super confusing right out of the gate, I'm just admitting, I understand. It's just the way my brain works. 
What I decided is that the way the world treats love is the way that my wife treats shrimp scampi. I know, it makes zero sense. So I'm gonna unpack it for you. I'm gonna be in huge trouble with my wife about this. I told the 9.30 crowd, I wasn't even sure I was gonna tell it at 11 o'clock because I knew she'd be here. But everybody at 9.30 was really encouraging. Afterwards, they were like, you should definitely tell that at the 11. I think it's because they all secretly hope that I'm in trouble. I think that's what it was. I'm going to tell it anyway. But the way the world treats love is the way that my wife treats shrimp scampi. Now, that's not just any shrimp shrimp scampi. It's specifically a shrimp scampi that my wife made. Here's the thing about my wife. You all know her. Uh, A lot of times she plays keys on stage, so you see her. She's beautiful. She's very fit. She's very into um, health and and making sure that us as a family, that we're kept healthy. And so a lot of times what happens is she gets in these kicks where she's like, man, we're going to have healthy eating. And she gets all these new recipes that she's excited to make. And I'll tell you, man, 99 times out of 100, these recipes are really actually pretty good. Her idea of healthy eating and mine are very different. My idea of healthy eating might be that I only eat half the bag of ruffles rather than the whole bag that I might want to eat. Her idea is, no, you need to eat the trifecta of sadness, which is vegetables, cauliflower, beets, and okra, which make me throw up. But sometimes, though, the recipes do work. And she found this dish that she was super excited to make. She showed me the picture of it. She said it was this healthy alternative to shrimp scampi, which all of us love. And so she went to the store, she, she's super excited about it. She bought all these ingredients, like organic stuff, excited to make it. She started making it, and I'll tell you, man, in the kitchen, it smelled good. I smelled it, and I was like, man, that smells great. You know, it, it looked good. I saw it in the skillet. It looked like really good shrimp scampi. We all sat down, you know, like knives and forks in hand, ready, excited to eat this. And I'll tell you, it tasted just like a burnt tire wrapped in a baby diaper. <laughs> It's one of the worst things I've ever tried. And Will and Avery and I are all sitting at the table. We all kind of take that first bite. And you know how that is. It's like you put something in your mouth and you're like, I have made a huge mistake. (laughs) But you don't know what to do because she's so excited about it. I wish that I had a video of us. We didn't have a video, but I did find a video that looked very much like our response to that first bite. And I think we have it if we want to play that real quick. Uh, that's really how we looked man I mean it was like that bite you're like hmm there's an ingredient in here I can't quite place is that gasoline and mothballs maybe I don't know it's adventurous honey you went in a different direction She was super undeterred by this though, as she almost always is when she gets with these recipes. She's got it in her mind that it's good and so she doubles down and she's like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I love this healthy shrimp scampi, you know, and she's just like scooping it up. Now here's the part that happens almost every time with my wife. It's the first several bites that she will say that I love this, I really love it, you guys are crazy, I don't know why you don't like this. 
And then all of a sudden, like, bite four changes, like, where she's like, so I don't, I don't know that I love it, but I, I do like it a lot. I mean, I really like this. I can't believe you guys aren't going to eat it. I'm going to eat it because I made like 37 pounds of this. I paid more for these ingredients than I've ever spent on anything in my lifetime. We are eating this shrimp scampi. And then it's like by eight or nine, she's starting to say things like, hmm, you know, now that I've eaten several bites of this, I understand what you guys are saying. Like, I'm starting to sense some of those same things that you're experiencing. It, it's good, though, if you just ignore the gasoline taste. Just ignore that, because this is so good for you. I mean, it, it can't get any better for you than this. By bite 10, things have totally changed for my wife, and she's starting to say things like, well, it's not all that great, but I'm not throwing this away because it costs a ton. Maybe what we'll do, we'll freeze some of it and see if it tastes better in a few months or in a few decades when we scrape it out of the bottom of the freezer from all of the frost. But like by bite 12, she's starting to say, you know, this is actually awful. I don't remember putting Irish Spring in this, but it sure tastes like it has it in there. I think I'm gonna go lie down for a little bit. Can one of you guys take care of this dumpster fire and don't ever mention it ever again? from love to hate in three minutes. That's the way world the world treats love of pretty much everything, even for one another. The love can treat, or the, the way the world can treat love is very much the same way that Tara might treat love for shrimp a la dumpster fire scampi. When love is treated like a feeling, it ebbs and wanes. It just does. And sometimes it happens in very short periods of time. But that's why I can tell you for certain that when Jesus talked about love, it was not love as a feeling. Now the thing is, though, this passage that I gave you, Matthew 22, 35 through 40, that's that's the basis for us for our first purpose of love God and love people. He doesn't go any further to explain what love is. He doesn't. It, it, I think Jesus just assumed, you know what love is. I don't have to explain that part. But you love God and you love people. So what I want to give you today is one more passage to go along with that Matthew 22 passage to help us unpack a little bit better of what love actually is. This passage I'm going to give you today, you have almost certainly heard it if you have ever attended a wedding. I mean, I, I would guarantee if you have ever attended a wedding, you have heard this passage of Scripture. It's actually called the love chapter of the Bible. I, I, I did a wedding this past weekend, and the uh, bride's grandfather got up and read this passage of Scripture. And then I talked about it in the message as part of the wedding because it's that important for, for couples especially to understand this definition of love. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and it starts this way, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And then verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. That is hands down the single greatest description of love you will find anywhere. Pastors use it for weddings, me included, because all of the descriptors that it gives in defining what love is all point to action, either what to do or what not to do. It does not talk about feelings anywhere in 1 Corinthians 13. But in our world, in, in songs and poems and literature and movies, love's always a feeling. The truth is, the reality is, is that love absolutely has great feelings attached to it. But it itself is not a feeling. It is an action. Now, I think a lot of times for us, we, we hear stuff like this, and we, we maybe don't dismiss it entirely. I mean, not, not that I would ever accuse you of doing that, but I think sometimes our brains can sort of build a little wall around it. And our brain kind of takes this stance that says, okay, yeah, we get this, man. That's, that's basic stuff, son. Yeah, love's an action. Okay, we get that. We've, we've all heard 1 Corinthians 13 more times than we can count. Our brain starts to get a little bit defensive. Again, maybe not like, you know, outright defensive, not like angry, but our brain starts to build defenses and starts saying stuff to us like, you know, what he's talking about, what he's going to hit you with about in this love chapter today is that you need to take more action in life. But, but listen, man, don't feel bad that you're not taking action. You're doing the best you can. You're, you're a pretty good person almost all the time. I mean, you never hurt anybody, not intentionally anyway. Our brain starts saying things to us like he's, he's going to get to this point where he's starting to say, you got to do more, you got to be involved more, you got to give more, you got to uh, jump into other people's messes and their lives. But just remember, we don't have any margin for that stuff right now, maybe down the road. But right now we're doing everything we can to get by. Eventually our brain will play kind of like this ultimate trump card, you know, it just slaps it down on the table and it throws this gem at you that says, look, you might not be living your life in love as an action every day, but our brain loves that word, but loves it, but at least you don't live in the opposite of love. You don't live in hate. Oh, brain, you wily trickster, you silly rabbit. 
Hate is not the opposite of love. I mean, yes, hate is absolutely counter to love, but hate's its own entity. Hate is not the opposite of love. Hate is the absence of love. Don't get those things mixed up. And don't be too quick about giving your pat, uh, pat on the, the back for not being a person controlled and engulfed by hate. That's something that takes years and years for that to happen. Most people are not completely filled with hate. There are lots of people that have an absence of love in their life. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is a much simpler, much easier to understand concept and much easier to slip into, unfortunately. The actual opposite of love is apathy. Because if love is an action, the opposite is apathy. What is apathy? It's, it's a state of inactivity where events, circumstances, the realities of the cruelty of the world around us does not motivate us to step into action, does not create a conviction in us to do something. Instead, we allow ourselves to kind of get to this place of like, man, all of that is so messy and so complicated. I can't do anything to change it until ultimately we become indifferent. That video that we saw last week, and again, if you weren't here last week, man, we always have all of our sermons and the, the series online on our website. You can go back and watch it, even if you just watch for that video of, of the woman named Jacinta, born into one of the poorest slums in the world. If you were here, you heard Dick explain and describe what that's like. He's visited it so many times. There's over two and a half million people that live in the slums in Nairobi uh, that are in an area that's half the size of Milford. Two and a half million people. Most of them live in these little eight by eight shanties that are made of like old discarded cardboard and scrap wood. The majority of those eight by eight homes that are just connected literally side by side for as far as you can see, most of them have five to eight people living inside them, eight by eight. He said he's visited some homes that had 20 or more people living in that one eight by eight space. They have no access to clean food or water. A vast majority of them living in conditions that you and I would find completely intolerable. That's why I mentioned last week that Through Change Makes a Difference, which is the program we do about 10 times a year, different months of the year that we select outside organizations. And literally just whatever pocket change you have in your pocket, whatever folding money you want to give away, you can go online and donate through the website if you want to. But we try to bless those organizations outside of Eastside that are doing such good work. And Mission of Hope is Our Change Makes a Difference this month. And like I said last week, man, my hope is that it'll be our record. I hope that we give more to them through Change Makes a Difference than we have anybody else. And it's not because I don't love those other organizations. I love them all that we've worked with. But Dick told me that in Nairobi, where Missions of Hope is based, 
when they rescue these kids out of the slums, for $500, they can feed one of those kids for an entire year. For 500 bucks. So I'm, I'm hoping that you'll be a part of Change Makes a Difference this, this month, just to try it, see, see what happens, see how God will bless it. But Jacinta, this woman, she was pulled out of that as a child, was given the opportunity to, to go to school. If you hear her story, she'll tell you, man, they were, she had literally given up hope, just like almost every person that lives in that slum. Because every day they expect the same outcome for that day. That they will wake up in the morning hungry, they will eke out an existence for that day, and then they will go to bed hungrier that night than even when they woke up. But what happened for her was that Mission of Hope showed up and introduced her to this idea of love, something that was completely ununderstandable to her. Through tangible action that they took, her life was changed. She was introduced to the concept of hope. They showed her a path out because the love of these strangers that she had never had anyone show her this brought a lifeline to her that changed her life forever. Now the thing that we talk about with our purposes is that as people experience these with us, that then they too will start that same journey and start walking through it as well, learning to love God and love people, to build relationships with others so that they can find a way to make a difference in their life. Just like that, it has happened now for Jacinta, who has gone all the way through school, through college and law school, has become a successful attorney in Kenya, but rather than turning her back on the slum that she was rescued from, she has stepped back into that place of despair. She has started sharing the action of love that eradicated the apathy of the life she had been in. And she wants them to experience the same thing that she has. Again, I know, I know this is already happening. Brains are starting to push this away and saying, man, that's not me. It's not apathy. I, I'm actually really a motivated person. I, I, I know moss is growing on this rolling stone. But I don't have the capacity, I don't have the margin, I don't have the ability, I don't have any way to do the things you're talking about. The thing I would tell you is, before you're so quick to push it away, give it some careful thought, attention, and prayer. Do an inventory of your actual life versus that quick instantaneous picture you might draw of yourself. Because again, your brain is gonna to wanna to convince you like, man, you, you're a good person. You don't have to listen to this garbage. This is crazy. You're doing enough. First Corinthians 13 can help you do a very thoughtful inventory in your life. But it takes more than just reading it. You actually have to invest time in a passage like that. Use it like a checklist to just take those few verses, the ones that I read you. But instead of just reading those qualities that it points to, ask yourself specifically maybe who you have shown those traits to on any given day. Or maybe even more telling, is to do an inventory of who you showed the opposite of those traits to on any given day. 
For example, like that idea of love is patient. Who experienced patience with me today? To ask yourself that question. Maybe you think through the scenarios that you experienced that day and you start out and you say, well, this morning I actually, uh, I put a check mark because the neighbor backed into my mailbox and I didn't cuss him out to his face or anything. I mean, not that he could hear. (laughs) But then, you know, my wife and I had that argument and I lost my patience big time. Or when I was talking on the phone to the insurance agent, and he said our claim had been denied for the third time. Said some stuff I regret, I guess. Sometimes doing an inventory like this, it's hard, it's difficult. We don't want to, our brain pushes against it for sure. But I can tell you, if you want an honest assessment of yourself and how you're doing in these commands, that Jesus spoke directly that said, nothing is more important than these two, then it's worth the time, it's worth going through the discomfort of that kind of assessment. Mike mentioned this when you leave today, um, you're gonna get a sheet that looks just like this one. And and all it is, um, it's literally got the purpose on here, love God and people, that reference to Matthew 22. But it also has these key verses from 1 Corinthians 13 up at the top. And then down at the bottom is this little assessment, kind of a survey. And it took some of the key pieces, not all of them, but some of the key pieces of that passage and asked this as a question. Love is, a patient, love is patient, question mark? And then a space for you to maybe identify some ways that you recognize that day or the day before or the week before or whatever time frame you're thinking through when maybe that didn't show up. I would encourage you to take one of these today when you leave and, and to use it this week to, to identify those moments where you did or did not live up to those aspects of love as described for us in the love chapter. After you do that self-assessment, This is so important. You have to take time to pray. First, that God would forgive you maybe where you have fallen down in these areas, but also that he would strengthen you for those new next steps, that he would give you courage to move from apathy into action, into love. Pray specifically that the example of Jesus's life will be your driving force every day for every decision that you make, for every action that you take, that it would look like he looked. Now, I know this is not easy. And uh, up in this little description paragraph up here is my email address. I, I would love for you to email me if I can be praying for you. You don't have to give me any specifics. You can just say, Jason, pray for me. Man, I would love to. I would consider that such an honor to pray for and with you you have to let me know because I love you guys I love our church and man I am rooting for you I'm cheering for you every day because I know what you're capable of not because of who you are but because of who God is through you so would you do me a favor let's stand together because I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing this final song to celebrate who our Lord is 
celebrate the mission that he has called us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thanks for your encouragement for us every day. Thank you for your word. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. Father, we recognize that without him, that we had no hope, that we could never have attained what he gave us freely, just life with you forever. Father, may our lives reflect his every moment of every day. Father, for every person here this morning, for those who are hurting, for those who are facing an illness, for those who face uncertainty, for those who are struggling with pain, for those who are struggling with anger or bitterness, for those who are struggling with fear. Father, I pray that they feel your presence right now. I pray that they feel your presence with them every day. They feel your hands around them, guiding and directing every step. I pray that they feel the assurance of knowing that your plans are bigger than we could ever imagine. Father, I pray too for each of us to exhibit the courage of your son to step out in ways that we have not stepped out before. That we will put love into action. And we will do everything we can to make sure every person we know, every person we meet comes to know you through your son, Jesus. Father, this is our prayer today. Thank you for all that we have. We say all of these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus, and everyone who believes shouted, amen. God bless you.